Our first reading comes from 1 Corinthians 10, it's verses 1 to 13. Warnings from Israel's history. For I do not want you to be ignorant of the fact, brothers and sisters, that our forefathers were all under the cloud and that they all passed through the sea. They were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the same spiritual food and drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock that accompanied them, and that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, God was not pleased with most of them. Their bodies were scattered over the desert. Now, these things occurred as examples to keep us from setting our hearts on evil things as they did. Do not believe idolaters, as some of them were. As it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in pagan revelry. We should not commit sexual immorality, as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 of them died. We should not test the Lord, as some of them did. And they were killed by snakes. And do not grumble, as some of them did. And they were killed by the destroying angel. These things happened to them as examples and were written down as warnings for us on whom the fulfillment of the ages has come. So, if you think you're standing firm, be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has seized you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can stand up against it. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I'm going to read to you from Luke chapter 13 and verses 1 to 9. Repent or perish. At that very time, there were some present who told him about the Galileans, whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. He asked them, do you think that because these Galileans suffered in this way, they were worse sinners than all other Galileans? No, I tell you, but unless you repent, you will all perish as they did. Or those 18 who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them. Do you think that they were worse offenders than all the others living in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you repent, you will all perish just as they did. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came looking for fruit on it, and found none. So he said to the gardener, See here, for three years I have come looking for fruit on this fig tree, and still I find none. Cut it down. Why should it be wasting the soil? He replied, Sir, let it alone for one more year, until I dig around it and put manure on it. If it bears fruit next year, well and good. But if not, you can cut it down. 
Thanks be to God. Well, perhaps you can see why I wouldn't have chosen this morning's readings to preach on, but I'm a firm believer in the lectionary. There it is, in the scriptures, and we have to work out what it might be saying to us. There seems to be a lot of violence in both of our readings this morning, and a lot of talk of perishing, and a lot of talk of sin and destruction. Well, never mind, I thought, um, I'll go and find a commentary. That will tell me what to say. But do you know, when I looked in all my commentaries, they nearly all ignored the first part of this morning's gospel. They dealt with the fig tree, because that's a parable and we like parables, but they didn't have anything to say about the Galilean sacrifice and the Tower of Siloam falling and Jesus' comments about sin in that respect. But then I began to think, I'm rather encouraged in a sense by this morning's readings. I mean, don't you think it's encouraging that the people went to Jesus and they said to him, why do these bad things happen? They weren't afraid to ask him that question. And I think that's really encouraging. And in a sense, isn't that what we perhaps might want to say to Jesus now? Why do things seem to be in such a negative state? Why is there such confusion and uncertainty? Why are there horrible natural disasters? Why there are, are there terrible crimes that human beings are committing against other human beings? Why is all this happening? Why is it going wrong? So when we come to worship and we actually hear these readings, what do we do? Do we think to ourselves, well, I don't know, that wasn't much, was it? I don't want to go there again if all they can do is talk about sin and that kind of thing. It's no good. Perhaps you might feel to yourself, well, I came this morning because I wanted to escape from all that, and now I don't want to have to deal with it when I'm at worship. But we are, after all, in Lent. And in Lent, we remember two things particularly about our Christian story. That in the wilderness... Jesus separated himself, went apart, so that he could ask himself, what is the point of my ministry going to be? Am I going to use power for myself? Am I going to say that the forces of destruction are stronger than the forces of love? Am I, what am I going to do? How am I going to orientate my ministry? What is going to be the point of it? So in a sense, he's kind of asking himself, I think, this very same question. What am I going to do when I'm faced with these forces that seem so very negative? What am I going to do? And also in Lent, we think of Jesus traveling towards Jerusalem and probably knowing that in Jerusalem, he himself is going to suffer I mean, the tension is there already as he goes that way. So what will the future of his ministry be in the end? I've always found it myself, although you may entirely disagree, very difficult to think that Jesus himself didn't wonder really what it was all about and would it all turn out right. I find it very hard to think of a Jesus who goes about thinking about these issues which profoundly affect humanity and thinks to himself, oh, well, never mind, it'll be all right in the end. I can't think of it like that. I think he was just as 
tortured about and agonized about these things as we are. And so Lent is a time when we with him need to grapple with what it's like to be in a time of crisis. A crisis is a pivotal point. It can either go that way or it can go that way. And the time of crisis that Jesus is talking about in this morning's gospel is that you either go down the precipice of sin or you go up the other way into repentance. And he has to say something which is really, really extreme to convey the urgency of the situation. Which way are you going to go in the crisis of this precipice? Are you going to actually say, well, there's nothing we can do about all the things that are going wrong, that's it? Or actually, are you going to think we can change something? Which side of the seesaw are you going to sit on? And it's no wonder that he actually seems exasperated. And it's no wonder, it seems to me, that he gets really, really worked up about people who can't seem to see what his message is. Now you may say to yourself, well, if this sermon is just going to pile on guilt about sin and stuff and the need for repentance, well, I'll switch off just now because we've heard all that before. And anyway, it's bad enough out there without bringing all that stuff in here. We want to hear something that will uplift us. We want to hear something that will make us feel that we're sitting on the right side of the crisis. And I think that there are two significant points from this morning's gospel. We've talked about Jesus in the wilderness, but from this morning's gospel that actually do point us to the way out of the crisis. And the first one is, I think one of the things that got Jesus quite worked up was that these people who came to him and said, well, those people who were killed, uh, the Galileans, and those people who the tower fell on, you know, how great was their sin, and how can we sort of avoid that? And I think what Jesus is trying to say is, for goodness sake, will you stop looking at other people and saying, what was their degree of sin? And, you know, stop doing that, because it's actually taking you away from thinking about the way in which your own life can be creative. It's very easy, isn't it? And I do it myself, really, to keep pointing at other people and other things, because then you don't actually have to think about yourself and your own circumstances and your own decisions and your own challenges. And I think that that is what Jesus is kind of trying to say to them. Do you think that these people sinned more than this, these people? Well, it's a pointless argument, isn't it? It's a pointless argument because there isn't actually an answer to it. Now, you and I, perhaps, and again, you might disagree with me, might have a slightly different idea about sin, whatever we mean by that, causing natural disaster or causing um, something happening like that. It's not so much that the Galileans who were sacrificed were obviously martyrs for their faith. I don't think there was sin attached to that. But the Tower of Siloam falling on people, well, you can say that's because it wasn't built properly, and that's perhaps to do with human sin. But nevertheless, the fact remains that there are disasters, aren't there? Natural disasters that, seem, that do happen to quite innocent people. And, and I myself find it very difficult to think 
that it's a result of sin. That isn't how I would interpret it. It might be the result of us not looking after our planet. And in that case, it is, in a sense, to do with being separated from God. But I've always found it very difficult to think that people, innocent people, would actually be punished in this way. So I think Jesus, to me, is saying, right, stop looking at other people and other people's sin and trying to quantify it and think about your own life. This is what you need to do. And then what about the fig tree? Well, this is really encouraging, isn't it? Because if you notice, the fig tree gets another chance. He actually says, give it another chance. And okay, the gospel ends with the fact if it doesn't live up to it, it'll get chopped down. But surely what we have to focus on is the other chance, not to waste the time. That actually, if this is really urgent, that in some way, as individuals, as a society, as an international community, we need to turn our lives around, then actually, it's urgent. And I think Jesus is actually in all parables all parables, are about making an urgent decision for the coming of the kingdom of God. Do you want to be part of it or don't you want to be part of it? And the fact that the fig tree has a second chance, I think is really, really encouraging. So from this morning's gospel, I think we have to think carefully about how things can be changed. Not necessarily about how other people can change change things, but how we can change things. Now, we've got elections coming up. If we actually, as Christians, believe that we can change things, we need to work through the processes that we have. And in our local community, we have our city council elections coming up. How about engaging yourself with reading all the manifestos, going to the hustings, and deciding what might be best for the future of our community? It's no point good in pointing to other people and no good pointing even to politicians, is it? And actually saying they should do something. We're the ones who, in the end, have got the power to do something. So we can try and change things for our community. We can try and change things for our society. And we can try and change things for ourselves. And I get this great point of hope from the fig tree actually being given another chance, another chance. We've got to believe as Christians that, that the love of God, if it spreads, will actually stop violence. We must go on believing that there are opportunities for individuals and communities to act as agents of transformation and to bring hope, because isn't that what we're about? And it's so tempting to just give up Everything seems to be so awful. Knife crime, natural disasters, state of confusion about where we're going for the future as a country. It all seems so dreadful. But if we are not people who can show that we've got hope, who is actually going to do that? If we aren't people who actually say that the Christian faith is, a, is about transformation and that can happen, who is going to do that? I mean, as individuals, there are various ways that this can happen. Um, One of our congregation I met in town the other day, and he was going off to the police station. 
because he believes that what he can do is be the adult who sits in with vulnerable people who have been arrested or taken into custody. Now, he doesn't have to do that. I think it's wonderful. I couldn't do it, but it's the sort of thing that he feels that he can do. And there's something that everybody can do. It may not be rather more spectacular like that. It can be something more normal. Perhaps actually all of us could start turning our lives around, being, as Jesus suggests, non-judgmental in our conversations. What about our family and our friends? How easy it is to be judgmental. How easy it is to actually cast aspersions and to say things that are negative. But as Christians, we have hope. And that's what we've got to share. We've got to believe that transformation is possible. We're in St. Paul's looking at Luke's gospel for our Lent course. And last week we were looking at the paralyzed man and his friends put him through the roof, you know, on the the stretcher. And we had a very interesting discussion about what was it that was paralyzing this man, actually. And somebody said something which I think was very profound, which is that what's paralyzing this man is a lack of hope. He can't move forward. He can't walk. He can't arrange his life. He's not in control of his life because he hasn't got any hope. And what Jesus is actually doing is saying to him, yes, there is something you can do that only you can do that makes a difference. And therefore, you need to have hope. So from this morning's rather dark readings, I think we can take away these two messages The first one being, it's no good pointing to other people's sin and saying, why don't they do something about it? That we have to think about ourselves. And the second one being, that the fig tree has another year to do something about it. And that means that it's urgent to keep on sharing hope and keep on sharing transformation. And I just want to finish by reading you a passage. I'm very fond of this book. It's called Speaking Christian. And it's by an American bishop, I think, called, and I think he's died, actually, Marcus Borg. And he's got the idea that the reason why we're not getting the Christian message across to people is that we keep using words, and he puts them on the front here, like uh, Trinity, Easter, God, Jesus, heaven, ascension, rapture, second coming, faith, righteous, born again, mercy, forgiveness, believe in salvation, all words, actually, that we don't very often use in our everyday speech, do we? When was the last time you used any of these words? Well, if we're not using these in our everyday speech, all we're really doing is coming to church and indulging ourselves in our own sort of vocabulary that we actually like. So this book is all about translating these words into things that will actually mean something to people. But the little bit I just want to read to you, and it's not very long, from the end, is where he kind of sums up what he's trying to say. And I think this is really to the point. The central message of Christianity is simple. It is about loving God and loving what God does, what God loves. That means loving God as disclosed in the Bible, and I put in brackets here, however difficult, 
and most decisively revealed in Jesus. Jesus is the incarnation, the embodiment of what can be seen of God's character and passion in a life lived among us. His passion, yes, urgency, strong language, strong images. His passion was the kingdom of God, what life would be like on a transformed earth. The world is God's passion. Christianity is a magnificent tradition. Like all religious and human traditions, it has its shadow side. But at its best, it is about truth, goodness, and beauty. And it addresses the two great human yearnings, our longing for personal transformation and our desire that the world would be a better place. The Christian message reduced to its essentials is love God as known in Jesus and change the world.